Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Today is our 52nd podcast episode, which means, if you've been keeping track, that we've been doing this for a full year now, uh, minus a couple of weeks that we took off, but this is our 52nd episode of full week, a full year, I should say, of weekly podcasts. So, Which is pretty cool. Yeah, and if you've listened to every single episode, thank you so much for sticking with us uh, for the long haul. I know they're not all winners, but we, uh, we're glad to be able to make this con- type of content for you. And you guys are awesome for sticking with us and listening and popping out of the Discord to make fun of me. It's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what we thought we'd do today is talk a little bit about all the things that have changed for us with respect to Airsoft over the course of the last year. I mean, COVID aside, of course, has created changes for almost everyone all around the world. And obviously for some people, it's been much more difficult than others. Um, so we're not really going to get into the the aspects of how COVID has impacted us. But uh, suffice it to say, we know that many fields were closed and reopened and, and so on. But what we really want to focus on today is the other things that have changed, our perceptions that have changed, the, our approach to Airsoft, how that has might have changed over the course of last year, and sort of everything in between. I think a good place to start here is to talk about uh, Bill C-21 in Canada. So if you've been listening to every single episode, you will have heard us talk about Bill C-21. This was a bill that was tabled by the Canadian government um, that would have severely restricted the, our ability to play airsoft by making airsoft guns prohibited devices in Canada. So you could own them, but you couldn't really buy them, you couldn't sell them, and you you know it was dubious whether you'd actually be able to actually use them on other people. Yeah, there's sort of a, you know, are we allowed to take these out of the house anymore kind of question there as well. Um and it was very uh, worrying in terms of, you know, are we going to be able to continue playing airsoft? Totally. And there were no clear answers. Um, the way that bills are debated in Canada, you know, they're brought to the to the House of Commons, which they're, you know, they're debated and they're modified and they're debated again and they're modified. And then they're sent to the Senate, which is our, you know, a higher legislative body where they're debated and modified. And, and so it's a bit of a lengthy process. And at the time, we didn't have very much to go on. We didn't know what would happen. And... Fortunately enough, um, the Canadian government declared an election or called an election uh, that will occur at the end of September. And when that happens, the House is dissolved and, and any unfinished business just basically evaporates. So what this means for Airsoft in Canada now is that whatever government takes power after, as a result of the election whether it's the Liberals, the Conservatives, or New Democrats, or whomever, um, they will have to reintroduce the bill, C-21, or, or what have you, um, and start the whole process anew, which, of course, they have seen some of the lobbying that took place as a result of the bill the first time. So if the bill is reintroduced, there might be a situation where we can work up front and we can sort of cash in a lot of this uh, lobbying that we've been doing for Airsoft so that Airsoft is not as impacted with future iterations of the bill, or it may just vanish and never come back. Either way, we want to make sure that Airsoft is sort of protected. And so we're continuing our lobbying efforts to make sure that our political candidates or representatives know that Airsoft is, is, is a harmless hobby that we engage in, um, and that we want to be able to continue to do for many years to come. And I think there's a lot of reason for optimism in terms of 
uh, expecting that if the bill is reintroduced, it will probably be reintroduced in some sort of modified form. Um, politicians seemed to be uh, last going off receptive, I guess, to uh, our sort of arguments that really, uh, if you're doing a bill about prohibiting firearms, that airsoft guns don't really qualify by any metric uh, other That's than right, an yeah. aesthetic one, which is a, a pretty rocky reason to put them in there in the first place. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, at minimum, I think any further real action on the legislation on that is probably not going to do a whole lot before the end of next year sometime. Uh, so we've definitely had a long break in worrying about it and possibly we don't have to worry about it ever again, which would be great. Yeah. And ideally we get to a position where we're able to pass legislation on the other side, which guarantees Airsoft uh, a status as, um, you know, what they actually are, which as we've talked about is just toy guns, right? If you're looking to, you know, prohibit certain types of firearms and without getting into the politics of firearm legislation, but if your whole point is to keep people from being killed by firearms, an airsoft gun has never killed anybody, right? It's not really a thing they're capable of. Yeah. uh, When you look at the facts of the matter in Canada, really airsoft doesn't pose pose a threat to proper civil society. It doesn't pose a threat to any any particular individuals. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to legislate whether or not people are able to own them. Without, again, diving too much in the politics, that's one of the things that occurred this year in the middle of things, you know, being bad with COVID. Like on top of, of all of this, we have to deal with this other thing. So that wasn't super great. But as it stands right now, we know that we're going to have Airsoft for several more months for sure and perhaps for many many years to come if nothing nothing changed in that landscape so that was one of the big things that occurred since we started with the podcast definitely a stressor in the middle of our year of podcasting right just they're going to do what now (laughs) yeah quite right now onto the more fun side of things what are some of the things that have changed for us in the last year and If you've been playing the home game and listening to every single podcast, you will likely be aware that there have been certain pieces of kit that we've changed over the year. What my kit looks like today, what Pat's kit looks like today, is not what it looked like 12 months ago. So in my case, I made the move to using electronic amplified hearing. So I, I bought a set of Earmore headsets, uh, a- active hearing protection, which is mounted directly to my fast helmet um, that connects directly into my comms and provided me sort of a turnkey solution for amplified hearing as well as having a more effective communication tool than what I had previously. So previously I had just like a bit of an earpiece, like one of those Secret Service earpieces with a PTT on my chest. And that was okay, but it wasn't like great. And it certainly wasn't very comfortable uh, for many hours of play to have this this earpiece in my ear. I, I even had a silicone molded one that was more comfortable, but it still wasn't awesome. So I decided to make the move to amplified hearing. And in doing so, created a whole lot of other problems for myself, in addition to a bunch of benefit. The first of which is that it is much harder for me to shoot offside, or it was harder for me to shoot offside. It required a bit of, um, let's say, practice to get it done. To and a little bit of it. rejiggering of what you were uh, using in other aspects of your kit. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't put the PTT in the same place because it really got in the way, whereas my previous one didn't. And most importantly, I couldn't actually uh, pick up my optic when I was on my offside. I needed to get a riser to bring my sight 
up to be able to actually see it in order to aim my rifle properly. So all of those things were uh, were new things for me to get accustomed to. And 12 months ago, these weren't problems that I was facing. These are brand new problems, or they were brand new problems, as a consequence of me changing my airsoft kit around, right? And there's sort of a, an interesting lesson there, I think, which is that every time we make something that seems like a simple change to our kit, inevitably it ends up meaning we have to tinker with more pieces than we're expecting. And I guess we should have learned our lesson by now, but I'm not sure that uh, I can say I have, to be honest. Um, you know, I expect fully to buy a new PTT uh, at some point in the next six months because mine is sort of on its way out. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not, you know, bad enough yet that I'm convincing myself to go spend the money. And I've half convinced myself I should buy a nicer one, but that's going to be physically a different shape than the one I've been using for the last couple of years. And I guarantee it's going to mess me up for several games. Yeah, or it I might just... not. You might get lucky and it doesn't. Right, I mean, but the bottom awesome. line, <laughs> I'll take you know, it. <laughs> exactly. If it, if it doesn't, then great. But the reality is, it certainly might. And if it does, you sort of need to be prepared uh, for dealing with that. And I think my year of airsofting has been can be summed up by not being prepared to deal with the impact of the choices that I'm making to modify my kit. I, I think that's, you know, a fair statement because I put on the ear more and I'm like, this is going to be great. And I'm like, oh, I can't pick up my dot. This is garbage. And it's like, okay, uh, I'm going to put a max hop up in my gun. This is going to be great. Oh, well, now I've got all this tech work that I need to do and or Pat needs to help me with and or Pat needs to do for me. And that's good. You know, I'm not prepared for that. Oh, we're going to put a new hop up in the gun or a new um, a barrel in the gun. And that's going to affect my accuracy. I'm not prepared for um, the impact that that's going to have. And it's not to say that I didn't see it coming. But for a long time, I'd say probably a year and a half, two years prior to this, everything was just working fine. So I'm not accustomed to having to go through those motions again, right? I feel like the optimal outcome here. Um you know, as we sit waiting for um, the last sort of piece of the solution to the, the gun portion of the problem to arrive in the mail is that, you know, it's taken us a while to sort out how to get you working where you wanted you to be working, but you should pretty much be there in a couple of weeks, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the frustration notwithstanding, uh, there's a moral to take away from it. I think of, yeah, like this can be frustrating sometimes, but stick with it. Um, yeah. you know, you, you will generally speaking, be able to get the problems with most pieces of gear sorted out. Um, sometimes you sort them out by hitting a thing with a hammer and getting a new thing. But for the most part, we haven't had to apply that particular drastic measure to your gear. Um, and you know, you've also, I think made upgrades to your kit alongside some of these frustrations, like the, the digital hearing amplification stuff is is cool, probably not the most important thing, but reliable comms going through a headset where you can actually hear what I'm saying is a humongous deal. Totally. Absolutely you know, agree. Yeah. Um, I actually switched to those a couple of years back, uh, largely because one of our teammates uh, stopped playing the sport due to some injuries and sold me them for a very reasonable price. Uh, and I just got my ears pierced and was like, I really don't want to get shot in a healing piercing. Uh, yeah. Um, and I was sold the instant I put them on, like first game, first game, I was just like, oh, wow, I, I can hear really clearly and my earpiece isn't falling out of my ear and I don't have to try to like duct tape it to my earlobe to keep it in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I know that's a really positive change and I know you've found the benefit to it also to be pretty significant. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, like that 
piece of kit wasn't new to you, but I mean, since then as well, in the last year, I mean, we've talked about it a bit, but you've made a couple of significant changes, not least of which is your move. Well, the World War II stuff aside, like we can sort of park that um, because it's more than a year in the making, let's say. But (laughs) the HPA kit is something we've talked recently on the podcast because it's a very recent change for you. Um, And as well as the 249, going back to a 249 and getting that working. And it's something that really we... A year ago would never have considered i don't think a year ago either of us would have considered an hpa or going back to a 249 100 um yeah. i've definitely had a year that was uh heavy on adaptation with airsoft stuff um honestly the first thing this year that's a change for airsoft for me is me getting motivated to go out and play a lot more um mm-hmm. which really thank you this podcast has been the the driving force because i talk to you every week about how awesome airsoft is and that keeps me from waking up Saturday morning at, you know, eight o'clock and going, Oh God, I'm so tired. I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead I'm like rolling out of bed, making my coffee being like, Oh yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. really good. You know, I still haven't gotten to play, I guess, perhaps as much as I would like, um, relative to, you know, playing every week, but I, uh, you know, the downside to being an adult with a real boy job, <laughs> right. Is, eh, you know, life responsibility, that sort of thing. Um, Going from there to talking about, you know, the HBA setup, I have not had this much fun with an airsoft gun in a couple of years, to be completely honest. Um, partly the getting to build something new and tinker with something new and try all sorts of new stuff is wicked. Uh, partly it's just working really, really well. I'm really happy with the performance of the rifle. Um, I'm going to tinker with the uh, the R-Hop when your stuff arrives. I have a new R-Hop patch coming as well mm-hmm. uh, because the R-Hop in my gun was done four years and many thousand rounds ago. So I'm sort of like, eh, I think it could probably be a little better. Um, but I'm tremendously happy with the, uh, the HPA setup. Um, but it's also causing ongoing changes in my kit. Because uh, where am I going to store the air bottle that goes with my HPA setup has been a, a real question uh, and not a question where I'm finding it irritating to answer, uh, but definitely a question where I'm playing with my kit. Um, so I, uh, as we talked about a couple of uh, podcast episodes ago, I grabbed a um, paintball solution that rigs to Molly from one of my friends and strapped it onto the back of my belt. And that sort of worked okay. Um, but I'm Every time I played with it, I was sort of feeling like, oh, man, am I going to bang this, you know, $200 regulator on the top of my tank off something and crack it off? I don't really want that to happen (laughs) Um, for obvious reasons. And I I didn't really like it. So I put it on a battle belt uh, that one of our uh, teammates, uh, Steph, had a spare one. He just tossed it at me to try and then I bought it off him. And that works better because it doesn't bounce around as much and it's, it's a lot more comfortable by means of actually storing the tank, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't fix the, oh, am I going to smack this off something? Uh, So I uh, I recently was loaned a uh, Maxpedition backpack to try a really small, like 12 liter one. Uh, And uh, for our recent training day, I tossed the tank and like 4,000 BBs and a couple other odds and ends and my multi-tool into it and just carted it around for the day. And it worked really, really well. I'm still feeling like I should have bought the 48 inch uh, remote line instead of the 36 inch one. 
just for comfort of having extra slack to move around and stuff. But that's not terrible, and it's very easy to resolve. It's a that's a forty dollar problem, and really, unfortunately, in airsoft terms, and especially in HPA and airsoft gun terms, a forty dollar problem is a cheap problem. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's not like you might not need a new hose at some point anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. having a spare one's honestly okay, right? You know, like if I buy a forty two inch one, um, I'm just going to coil the thirty six inch one up and keep it, and if the 42 inch one fails at some point i can just be like oh, i'll pull that out of the backpack literally and put it on the gun and go yeah definitely and uh i definitely am feeling at this point like i mean a like definitely still the honeymoon period right i absolutely don't want to mislead people there um i've been running this for about a month and it's really really fun um and very very different um but that doesn't mean you know it's for everyone or that i'm you know necessarily uh, giving you a fair and balanced view of it at the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> check back in a couple of months when it has done something weird and annoyed me and I've had to fix it, right? I think as well, like when I'm, I'm thinking, hearing you talk about this, another piece that changed for me is uh, my chest rig, right? I, that's a, that's another big change in the last year. So I did have that um, replica knockoff D3CR and I decided that I wanted to keep using a chest rig as opposed to a JPC with my plates. And that's a decision really that I made this year right? That I'm like, I'm not going back to JPC, right? I'm not going back to a play carrier for Airsoft. I find fun how sort of um, swift that change was in the sense that you were like, I think I'm going to try this for a couple of games. Like I got one on the cheap and then almost immediately you sort of looked at the people who are running them and are like, I see why you switched to this. Um, And it really comes down to, I think for both of us, they're just really a lot more comfortable to wear around for protracted periods of time. They're lighter. Yeah, absolutely. Especially mine, because mine has training plates in it. My JPC did. You know, dropping like, uh, you know, 10, 12 pounds, let's call it. It's not, you know, it's it's a fair amount of weight. And the, the thing about it is, though, is like, I did have that chest rig, but I wasn't, the, the knockoff one, I wasn't really convinced about ditching the JPC like for good until I finally got to that microfight rig that I have now. Because fundamentally, it's giving me exactly the same reloads, right? The exact same speed of reloads, the exact same retention that I was getting with my play carrier just without the plates. And so I'm getting the benefit of having this lightweight kit that I can really toss around uh, no problem right? I can, I, I'm much faster on the field because I'm not being held back by those training plates in my plate carrier. And it's just as stable for reloading compared to really that old knockoff one was not that good for that. The retention was crappy. The mags were sort of bounced around once you took one out and all this kind of stuff. I have no problems like that with my micro fight. And so that's really, when I started using that, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm not going back. Like this is, this is done. That sort of comes back to one of the pieces of sort of our our kit narrative, if you will, that Chris has mentioned as well, where we've definitely gotten to the point where there are some things that if you can afford them, we definitely think you shouldn't cheap out on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that, you know, you should absolutely go spend $400 on a chest rig right now and it will fix your airsoft game because that's absolutely not the case. That's, there's no way that's going to happen really. But, you know, if you're getting annoyed by your knockoff brand mag pouches, um, your tacos or whatever, not actually retaining your mags, the best solution probably is to buy real ones. Uh, and yes, it's going to run you more, but um, they're pretty indestructible because Phil and Chris and I have all tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, if the three of us can't break it, you're doing OK. Um, you know, likewise, we like those uh, Blue Force 10 speed um, mag pouches and we've 
run those into the ground as well. Like they, if they were going to fail, they probably would have between you, Chris and I. And that means that, that the good part about it is that you can get them secondhand, right? You can get them from someone who is offloading them and moving on to someone else, something else. So that means you don't have to go spend $80 on mag pouches when you might be able to find some that people are offloading for 40 bucks, Right now, you might say, well, if 40 bucks is still expensive for mag pouches. Yeah, I mean, it's not cheap, but if you're looking for a resolution to your problem, which is that your mag reten- retention sucks, that's going to be your best bet. And, and hey, like you're right. It's not cheap, cheap, but it's half the price of them new. So, yeah. you know, there, there are benefits there. Um, one of the things I'm finding interesting with um, the HPA setup also, just, just to get back to that for a second, is um, I tried the battle belt because I wanted something stable to mount the air tank on. Turns out, putting all my other stuff on the battle belt makes it really stable. So that's staying. Mm-hmm. Like, that is non-trivially a more comfortable piece of kit than I would have expected. Like, I've seen them for years. You know, I've known a bunch of people who've run them. Uh, some of our guys still run them. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I, like, how much I want this. You know, like, it's it's kind of big. And I tried it and I'm like, all right, I'm an ogre. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not big enough to get in my way, really. Uh, And it gives me a really stable platform for my sidearm, for, you know, I think I'm actually going to put a third mag on it um, before I run it again. Um, I'm taking the tank off and running in the the max expedition for the foreseeable future. Um, But yeah, so it's it's given me another place to run a mag. I'm probably going to pick up another of those... um, PMAGs, polymer PMAGs that we've been using because uh, those turned out to be also an outstanding piece of kit, I've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wouldn't call them, you know, quote unquote, a game changer, but they feed in everything that we have. Uh, they're very solid. They feed reliably really well. Um, they're a good purchase. Yeah. One of the other things that has changed, I think, in the last year, and, and I mean, it's sort of of a no-brainer, but it's the fact that we're doing this podcast has changed a bunch of stuff for us. One of which is that we've had the opportunity to have conversations about Airsoft um, that normally we would not have had. So really to think critically about some of the things and then, you know, aspects of our play that really we had never considered before. What would we do? What would we rather? You know, we played those kinds of games. And that was a really good way to explore this hobby and to consider different perspectives to think about and talk about ways that we could be doing things differently, to look back on things that we had done in the past, in some cases, even come to the realization that we moved beyond something that really we missed. And I think, for example, Pat's PX4 is a great example of that, right? Pat ditched his PX4, his Tokyomori GBB PX4 many years ago, and it's through conversations that we had that he decided to go and just buy another one because you remember how great it was, right? And I have zero regrets about buying that new one. Uh, it is super fun to shoot. It's super clean and crisp. Uh, Kosh, who is apparently just a little uh, spend money demon sitting on my shoulder uh, at this point, um, was uh, talking to me about like metal parts kits for TM guns uh, the last time we played. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. I really like that little gun. Um, and... Uh, you know, running it on propane is a little bit hard on it. So maybe I'm going to... Maybe I'll tinker with that over the winter and make it a little more shiny just for the fun of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know. you know, to come back to to my original point on all of this is that having these conversations, I mean, there have been some times when we've recorded many podcasts sort of in a row. Um, 
But most of the time, we're recording one a week. So that means that weekly, we are having a conversation, Pat and I. Now, you're getting it a bit delayed, fair enough. But like Pat and I are still having conversations. It could be with Chris or John or whoever. Every week, we're talking about Airsoft. We're thinking about Airsoft. We're having conversations about the things that are important to us in Airsoft. And that allows us to really progress as well, right? Because it keeps it front of mind for us. It keeps us engaged with the topic. And it means that we continue to enjoy it, even when we're not necessarily playing. And especially during COVID, when we weren't able to play, it was a really good opportunity for us to reconnect and plug back into this hobby in ways that you aren't, at the time, we just were not able to do, right? And I mean, I uh, I actually listen to this podcast when you put it out every week, because uh, Phil's doing all the all the hard work. I, I just talk, which I do for a living. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, I listen to this podcast every week um, because... You know, there's a, a different sort of thought process to me to sitting down and talking it out with you and sitting down and listening to it and thinking about what we were saying. And, you know, like one of the funny things here is, you know, I've been a really um, not ineffective player, but a very passive player uh, in terms of my role in our team and in terms of like my approach to play on the field um, for easily the last four years. Um, you know, not in the sense of like not being willing to pull my weight as a member of the team, but in the sense of like being like, oh, you know, I'm just going to hang back and provide like, you know, longer range fire support and cover you guys while you do the door kicking. Uh, and every time we've, we've talked about this stuff and just every time I put in time thinking about it in between these conversations and in between games, I've realized, you know, like, no, there's really not a whole lot of reason for me not to be pushing up and being aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm definitely not as good at it as you or Cal or Chris, but that doesn't mean I'm bad at it. And also I'm not going to get better by hanging back and taking long range shots. And the fact that I can take long range shots is great. Uh, But I'm really trying to up my game in terms of, you know, like pushing forward with you guys and doing more work in that space. Um, And that's been fun for me from a play point of view and, and challenging and interesting from a play point of view. But, you know, I'm really, I'm glad to be doing it. Um, And I think it is slowly giving me more tools and shaping the way I play uh, in ways that I feel positive about. Uh, and that's really legitimately just a result of doing this podcast, right? The answer to the question, oh man, how do we get Pat to like push up more and be more aggressive? Apparently we get him to talk about what he's doing and why for, you know, a couple of months. And then he goes, I think I'm going to change some of what I'm doing because I don't like the why. <laughs> and, and I mean, to be honest, I think that's a totally fair realization. We spend a lot of time, especially in our hobbies, um, not necessarily understanding or appreciating really what and why what we're doing and sort of why we're doing it the way that we are and so sometimes we do stuff in a way that's ineffective or we do stuff in a way that we don't really enjoy but we're just going you're just you know going through the motions and it's not until you really stop to think about okay but hang on why am i doing it this way what what am i getting out of this that you come to the realization maybe there's a different way i could approach this Right. And in your case, I think that's very visible. I mean, last time we played together, I even made the comment to you. I'm like, wow, you're being really aggressive. And I knew just from knowing you, I knew that was because you were in a good mood. You probably got enough sleep that night, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that does help for sure. (laughs) But it does help. But you're in a good mood, so you're feeling good, which means that you're going to do the things that you really want to be trying, which is getting out there, putting yourself out there, sort of kicking the door and et cetera. Um, and sometimes that motivation comes externally. Like I think when I play, for example, with John, John is the kind of guy who will just shout at me to do something and it will force me to do that thing, not because he's shouting at me and I'm scared of him, but because it sort of jars me into action, right? I just, I get this sort of quote unquote command and it's like, oh yeah, I got to go, I got to go. 
right? And sometimes that motivation, that sort of why will come internally. And I know in your case, we could give you that external push, but for it to come internally is, is for you is going to be a game changer, I think. 100%. I mean, uh, if nothing else, like independent of the fact that I can be grumpy first thing in the morning, I'm a stubborn bastard. Um, mm. And I, I had tons and tons of, you know, like practical reasons to be hanging back and providing sort of, you know, air quotes, support by fire, especially um, before last season, uh, when I changed the gun to sort of dial it down a little bit to accommodate the new rules uh, for FPS at the place we're playing. Uh, but that change um, did, it lost me a little bit of effective range, but not a ton, as you know, from using the rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's no point in addressing that sort of like second line playstyle, And I think part of it, you know, that developed a bit when we had reliably eight or nine guys on the field. Um, and that meant that the front line was, you know, was pretty thick and pretty heavy uh, in terms of just like, you know, our ability to put weight on any given part of the field where we needed to deal with a problem or push through people uh, was very strong. Uh, and we were down to, you know, five or six, I think, a lot of the time Storm Riders. And I, practically speaking, not that I'd realized this before I started trying to push up more, but I... Uh, I think it's very valuable for the team's ability to take objectives and, you know, lay the smack down as it were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also, I, I haven't done the sort of like move up, move and gun rifleman sort of playstyle in quite a while. And I definitely did enjoy it. Uh, and I'm definitely enjoying getting back to it. Um, and, you know, it also makes the game a little more sort of physicality and exercise intensive for me, and, you know, more cardio while playing airsoft, which is honestly desirable because, um, I spend too much time sitting in a chair, um, you know, so like that aspect of things is positive, uh, but mostly just that game and several others uh, that I've played over the last eight or nine months have just been like, man, no, like I, I want to be pushing up. I want to be, you know, um, applying myself to the enemy in a more direct and immediate fashion than I have been. And the 249 actually, you know, I mean, most of that honestly is just uh, it's a desire for tech work, and I think it looks badass. And you know, it's it's very much a fashion soft piece for me. Definitely. Um, but it's also a I want this to work, um, and I want to see how it can work, uh, kind of thing. And uh, I definitely feel at this point that there are uh, enough choke points on the field where we play reliably that if I can get that gun working the way I should be able to get it working, and I'm making good progress there, at least in my view. Um, then uh, it's going to be a very different playstyle from the rifleman playstyle, um, and it may go back to being, in some ways, a slightly more sedentary playstyle. But I guess that's sort of offset by the weight of the gun, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I am moving, I don't know. It's true. I mean, it is it is a heavy piece compared to your rifle, especially now compared to your rifle with the HPA kit in it. I mean, it's a pretty lightweight piece of kit, so you really have like the both ends of the spectrum, really, right? Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, I'll be I'll be straight with you, like the. HPA continues to impress me, and every time the HPA continues to impress me, I get closer and closer to buying a HPA kit and putting it into the uh, LMG. Um, Phil is grimacing at me, but like, <laughs> uh, it allows for a bunch of neat things in terms of making those work. Um, I'm not looking at it and going, "Oh man, I'm going to make this," you know, give this a crazy rate of fire uh, or anything like that. Um, but. Uh, once they're working right, a HP8 LMG is a little more reliable than an electric one in terms of part burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's an appeal there. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm not dropping the money tomorrow, uh, but I can save some money up for that if I decide I want to do it. 
uh, and it not be a completely stupid idea. I just got to fix my rifle before that happens. I mean, that is, you know, uh, <laughs> priority one or two, depending on how long it takes for the parts to get here. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just, have uh, John's you. FAL apart. That's only a couple hours of work from being together in a gun. No rush on that, though. He's uh, in love with that AK-47. Yes, yes. Um, the, the problem there is that he also probably wants me to do things to the AK-47, and I need to put the file back together first. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect so. The the fun thing about the about John's AK-47 is, you know, like it's 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 fun to shoot. It's a cool gun. Um, I uh, I'm I'm ter- terribly terribly afraid that like he and Steph and Carew are going to be like, hey Pat, you should get an AK-47 in some sort of weird Russian camo and join us for more cosplay. Um, but uh, hopefully they won't listen to that sentence uh, or you'll delete it or something and I won't get caught in that trap. It's, I'm not going to delete it. You know? um, I, I will say, though, <laughs> you you do have your World War II kit to finish before you jump into any other impressions. And yep. I'm sure both of those guys will, uh, well, they should respect it, but they likely won't. But, you know, they should. I, <laughs> I mean, I think my, uh, my highest priority for airsoft purchasing right now is uh, I've been wearing really cheap, shitty pants uh, just you know, U.S. Woodland, but like the the forty dollar garbage kind, yeah, uh, and they're really uncomfortable. Uh, and I finally just had absolutely lost my patience with it. Uh, I'm going to order a new pair literally when we finish recording this podcast episode. Um, yeah, you know, but after that, the the rough out boots that I want for the World War II kit are actually back in stock as of uh, ten o'clock this morning. Um, Grand. That was a nice email to get. So. Uh, that's, uh, that's exciting. Um, and yeah, I, especially getting that kit sort of, you know, where a lot of it is wool, getting that up and running for like the, the October, November portion of the airsoft season, uh, where it's much colder here would be really pretty ideal, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, I've come to some interesting conclusions about the World War II kit too, over the last year. Um, cause I haven't, uh, obviously gamed the whole kit, but I've messed around with a bunch of pieces of it and chatted with John about a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and, uh, one of the things I actually realized, um, earlier this season when my rifle stopped working sort of inexplicably, and I was very salty about it, as we talked about in a previous, uh, previous episode is I don't actually think I am going to upgrade the Garand. It shoots mm-hmm. quite well as it is. And I think I'm just going to run it and enjoy it as it is as a pretty stock airsoft gun that does pretty well. Uh, no and, HPA for the Garand. Oh my God. He, I, as John would probably eat it, you. Oh my god! I think he either that or he just like die, um, <laughs> like die and come back from the dead and then eat me. Uh, yeah. No, I. The whole point of that kit is for it to look really good and historically accurate. Uh, and no, I. Uh, the the HPA kit is uh, to use an appropriate metaphor, a bridge too far for me for that one for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm digging it a whole lot. Uh, and I think I'm just going to leave the Garand as is. And it, like, if it breaks, I'll probably put money into it and tune it um, because I'm going in there anyway. But it's yeah, very right. complicated to take apart. It's very complicated to work on. And it just it works quite nicely for a stock gun right now. Uh, and I don't think the Airsoft kit is uh, going to be my uh, my high-performance race car kit, as it were. Right? Like, I think no, the, for sure. that the uh, IAR is definitely my, my workhorse gun. And that if I'm... If I'm playing to kick ass, as it were, like if that's my primary goal, you know, I'm going to show up in my modern kit, uh, just yeah. like John is. Uh, and the World War II, you know, it's it's a different beast. Um, yeah. You know, so um, Stefan has actually found a uh, metal and wood kit to go on the Thompson I have. Uh, and the Thompson's a bit ahistorical for the, um, you know, the grunt 
role that I'm sort of going for, but it's a really cool gun. Uh, so if I'm going to sink money after the boots, maybe I'll do that because it'll be a fun project for the winter as well. Fair um, enough. You know, and it'll be, it's making it fancy, right? Like, you know, because really, you know, the, the living history thing is one definite aspect of this, but the other primary thing for the World War II kit is it's it's definitely a fashion soft thing. It's, it's cosplay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah make it uh, fancy exactly right and the grand is already wood and metal and beautiful so i don't need to do that there um and i was a little disappointed when i found out that the uh the general infantry guys uh didn't actually carry a sidearm because uh, an excuse to buy a uh, world war ii era you know 1911 a1 would have been really nice because they're definitely cool um but you know that's fine. I, I don't actually need excuses to burn more money on the World War II kit. No, that's um, right. I've already done a fair amount of damage to the wallet with it, and I'm going to do a fair bit more with those boots. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it, it's you know there's cosplay, fashion, soft stuff, and the historian stuff. And yeah, I, I know it's not going to be as efficient as picking up my M27 style AR and just you know destroying people with it. <laughs> yeah, I think the last big thing that I want to talk about. As one of the big changes for us in the last, you know, the last year has been the Discord. We've talked a lot in the, uh, we've plugged the Discord basically every single video since we created it, every single podcast since we created it. Um, it was Cal's idea to throw a Discord server together because quite honestly, he knows a lot more about how those work than myself or Pat or basically anybody else on the team, I'm pretty sure. Definitely. Um and so he came and said, hey, why don't we try it? And, and what, what do you think? I'm like, as long as you're running it, it, it would be fine. And I really didn't know. I was sort of like, take it or leave it. Like, I wasn't opposed to the idea, but I figured, well, I didn't expect that many people would be interested. And I, I was pleasantly surprised that people actually started joining the Discord, started engaging in conversation. And before I really knew it, we had created this very lively very international community of airsofters where we very consistently have good, meaningful, positive discussions about airsoft and airsoft-related topics, as well as a couple of memes getting shared here or there. Um, but really, we've um, started just this awesome community of people, of people who are interested in airsoft and sometimes in very very different ways like we have people uh on the discord who are interested more in the larp side of airsoft we've got people who are more interested uh, on the performance side wanting to sort of improve you know day over day there are people in between there are people who play exclusively milsim we got guys in there playing exclusively speedsoft which how they found our discord is sort of beyond me but that's beside the point um we're happy to have everybody every perspective um and it's just been outstanding you know when i looked at our youtube analytics for example and i looked at the demographics of the age groups of people who mostly listen to our content the the countries that they're from the prime the the vast majority of people are in the ages of like 18 to 35 mostly in the united states and the united kingdom um even more so than canada and yet on our Discord, we have people from, yeah, the United States and Canada and uh, the United Kingdom, but we have people in there from France, from Portugal, we have people in there from Mexico, we have people there from Finland, and, and I mean, I, and I'm skipping some as well, you know, it's just, it's awesome to see that community and the conversations that we're having in there, and 
it's made a really positive impact on my perception of airsoft sort of globally. Me too. Uh, I've gotten to sort of, you know, get to know some of the guys, mostly through talking about tech work uh, and people posting, you know, um, memes about stuff that I'm into. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or, you know, we have a little section for people who play Warhammer and, you know, we toss up the odd picture of, you know, stuff we're working on, uh, which is awesome, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I like the whole cross-pollination of my hobbyist thing. It's great. But... Um, Man, honestly, shout out to the Discord because I'm having a humongous amount of fun with the HBA stuff, and I think that Steph would not have had any luck or anywhere near as much luck anyway convincing me to try it had it not been for the body of expertise about that that we had available just to go, hey, uh, I bought this thing and I put it in and it's doing dumb things. Please help. Um, yeah. Because, like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at your self tacking, but I don't know anything. Well, I know a little bit now, but I didn't know anything at all about HPA. And man, I had a lot of dumb questions to ask. And everyone was super kind and they were super informative and it was awesome. And I know Steph got help for his HPA when he was getting started from Todd and Chaz, who jumped on a video call on Discord to just troubleshoot some stuff. I know uh, one of our guys, Locks in Portugal, he was having trouble with his AEP and he hopped on a video call and myself and Shane were looking at that with him, giving him a hand. And then we had a great conversation on video about, you know, where he plays and, you know, showing the field and we did the same thing. And like, those are really valuable conversations to have. And that's when you recognize that our hobby is not just sort of the small community that we play in, although those are the people we play with the majority of the time, there are lots of other people all around the world who engage in the sport in very different ways. And it's really interesting to expand your worldview and get to talk to those people and see how Airsoft is played because they have a lot of really great ideas. They've got a re- lot of really great stories, uh, pictures, videos to share about how and games that they've played and whether it's like a cool mill sim with an awesome converted Toyota Tacoma that, uh, <laughs> that Chaz was showing us the other day to that rundown building we were looking at in Portugal and everything in between. Like it's awesome. Awesome. People have been so supportive of providing us pictures for future videos, which uh, we haven't um, haven't recorded yet, but that's coming down the pipeline. Submitted videos for us to do video review on. Like, it's a really good place to connect and just have meaningful conversations. And at the end of the day, if you need help, there is guaranteed someone in there who can provide the exact help you're looking for. And it's so much better than, you know, being on Reddit and like looking at posts about people's airsoft stuff and watching YouTube videos. Like, don't get me wrong, I still do both of those things too. Yeah. Uh, But just getting to chat with people and getting to know them and, you know, like I have a feel for, you know, how Chaz and Glick and several of these other guys play, right? Um, And I've never played with them. They're quite far away from me. Uh, I might never get the opportunity to play with them, although it'd be rad to do so. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, you know, I have an idea of what Airsoft is about for a whole bunch of other people. And, you know, that's awesome. It's really, yeah. really cool to get to talk to people and um, share the joy of the hobby and do so across, you know, a lot of um, cultural boundaries, some linguistic boundaries and a whole lot of countries, borders. Yeah. And and I will add, you know, we are from Newfoundland, Canada. I mean, I re- recently joked about that in, in one of our latest videos, but we are from Newfoundland, Canada. It's an island with a very small population in northeastern uh, Canada, right in the middle of Atlantic and the Atlantic. There's 250,000 people more, more or less in our urban area, which is a very small city by a lot of different standards. And many people have this notion that in order to do anything good, 
or to partake in certain hobbies, you really have to leave Newfoundland, get on the mainland, and get to these bigger areas in order to be successful. And that airsoft can't be fun in Newfoundland because you don't play with enough people. Like, we, we only had 18 people at our last Open game. Like, how can that be fun? And by connecting with people all around the world, you realize that the videos that you see of people running around with like three or 400 people games, that's not the norm. You have lots of people who are playing airsoft in small pockets all around the world in smaller communities with smaller groups of people with teams of three or four people instead of teams of 20 and all of that is okay you can do that you can be successful you can have a great airsoft community without necessarily being in a group of people where you're getting 100 plus people every single skirmish and you know you you'll look at your youtube videos and you have these huge games and you know people like showing up with helicopters and lavs and stuff you know and don't get me wrong i want to go i want to try i want to do but that you know, doesn't mean that what I'm doing with this, the Stormriders at our local field with whoever shows up on any given weekend isn't fun. That's right. Yeah. And it just goes to show you as well that whatever you're doing right now, keep at it, right? Because you might think, oh, well, oh, well, I can't do that because or whatever. And in point of fact, I was talking to uh, Glick today and he was saying like, I wish people in our area did training like you guys did last weekend. And I was like, cool. So why don't you just do that? Yes, 20, bu- 20 bucks worth of lumber, free cardboard, and a couple of guys. No problem. Yeah, and, and I was saying, it's like we used to do weekly team practices for an hour. Start there. Do the meaningful drills for an hour together. And then once you've done that a whole lot and you get accustomed to the drills and the cadence and stuff, then you can stitch a couple of those together and now you have a three-hour session and maybe you do an open session with your own people, right? So there's not, there's no reason why you, just because you see something that's being done, I mean, yeah, it's going to be harder in a small community to go and afford to rent a helicopter or a lab or whatever. <laughs> for sure. But there's no reason that you can't attempt to do a lot of these things. And even if you don't see immediate success, that you can't stick with it. And I think by talking to people on the Discord, I've more than ever gotten reaffirmation that what we're doing with our channel, what we are uh, doing with the content that we create is meaningful to people. It's helpful to people. And whether it's uh, only a couple, you know, a couple hundred views on a video or whether it's 10,000 views on a video, it doesn't matter. You guys who are listening, you're getting something out of it and that that's meaningful to me. So I really can't thank you all enough for taking part in the Discord and engaging in our community uh, in helping make Airsoft more fun for me, making more fun Airsoft more fun for Pat and everybody else on the team by just being awesome, wholesome people who are willing to share and engage and be respectful and l- want to learn about Airsoft all around the world, not just in your little pocket. So thank you again for that. It's just been a tremendous uh, it's been a tremendous past 12 months, that's for sure. It, it's been really, honestly, enriching. Um, and, you know, on a personal note, it's been cool for me. I've been um, I've been reluctant to get involved very much with their YouTube stuff, um, if I'm being honest, because, you know, I'm a bigger dude and people make fun of me. But this has uh, done a lot to make me more comfortable with, you know, being involved in both parts of it. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, it's helped me see sort of that, like, I can bring some value other than, you know, my uh, expertise at poking at airsoft guns uh, to this and to our YouTube channel. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been really uh, a pleasure. And thank you all for tuning in and listening to us ramble every week. And um, I genuinely hope you're having as much fun as I am. 
Totally. So guys, that's it. That's 52 episodes wrapped. I, uh, like Pat said, we hope you're having a great time with it. Um, and we're not stopping. So this is going to be marked the end of season one. We're starting season two just next week. There's no break. Uh, we're going right into episode 53 in season two. Uh, so thank you so much for listening this week. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being on the discord. Uh, and we will talk to you next week. You guys are awesome. Talk to you soon. <laughs>